Amen. Well, hi, everybody. How you doing? It's good to be with you today. Uh, we are very excited about VBS. Uh, we have an opportunity, right, to see people uh, and little children hear the Word of God, and we have nine hours with them. That's the way I'm looking at this. We have nine hours this week with kids that we normally don't have the opportunity to be with them. And I just, as Micah said, just be praying, praying, praying this week. Every day, I hope that you'll just pray for uh, what's happening, because we believe it's important and significant. All right, are you guys ready to get back into wells? I am uh, I'm excited about our day. I think this has been uh, an interesting kind of look at a story in the Scripture, in which we keep turning it, right? We keep kind of looking at it in a different way and asking ourselves more and more questions about it. And this whole conversation so far has been very much about how do we dig a well? How do we have our own sort of journey in life in which we're digging deeper into the richness that God provides in our lives. And we've been talking about digging a well and finding a kind of water that Jesus calls living water. And he has invited us to drink this water. And today we're going to continue this story of John 4 because this living water has been, we've kind of tried, not only on one hand talked about what does it take to dig, but we've been talking about what is the living water? A taste like 100% truth. 100% grace, tastes like the kingdom, which is about forgiveness and, and, and restoration and bringing life and reconciling and healing the broken. And so I want to get back into it. We're going to jump straight into it. We're in John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7, which we've started in verse 7 like almost every week. I don't know why that keeps happening, but something about this verse is a good place to begin. So here we go. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her. Now, if you've not been with us, there's Jesus sitting on a well in a town in Samaria called Sychar, and, and this woman comes to draw water. And Jesus said to, you, to her, will you give me a drink? And then in verse 8 it says, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, we've pointed out this little point a number of times, uh, but the disciples went to buy, to buy food and from this verse on, if we kept reading, which I'm going to skip ahead in just a moment, if we kept reading, we see this whole interaction between Jesus and this woman, right? And there's all these sorts of things that happen within this dialogue in which all these sorts of themes come up. And it's interesting. It's like kind of mind-blowing how much Jesus addresses in a short amount of time. He addresses, like we talked about earlier, when Micah introduced this idea of spirit and truth, he talks about worship. He talks about religion, he talks about race, he talks about gender, he talks about all these sort of ideas. He talks about forgiveness, he talks about grace and truth and all these sorts of things. And then in verse 27, these disciples that went grocery shopping show back up. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar because she wasn't thirsty for that water anymore. The woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, would you eat something, please? So the disciples are clearly focused on food, right? Which I think we can all relate to, can't we? Has anybody ever thought about food? <laughs> We think about food a lot, don't we? I think it's one of those subjects that we're always sort of talking about. How many, I mean, this is like a central theme of our life, isn't it, food? I mean, this is something you think about every day. 
you have the questions. When am I going to eat? Where am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? Right? This is something that is in front of you every day. It's probably the number one subject that you think about in your life. Probably. How many of you guys would agree that you think about food a lot? And the ones not raising their hands, you're liars. I know you do. You think about food all the time. In Oklahoma City, we love food. We have so many restaurants. I don't know if you've seen the stat. We have like, what, the most restaurants per capita in the country or something like that. We love to eat in Oklahoma because what else are we going to do, right? This is what we do. We love food. And so the disciples are focused on food. Now, I don't know about if you're catching this, but I, I think this is kind of interesting. The story with this woman is about water, right? She's there to get water from Jacob's well, and Jesus introduces her to a different type of water. And now you have the disciples, this other storyline that's kind of happening alongside this interaction, and they're focused on food. So you have water and food, the two basic staples of life happening inside this story. She's talking about H2O, natural, organic, organic room temperature water, as we talked, right? And, and they are talking about food, probably gluten-free, non-GMO, you know, superfood, because that's what Jesus would eat if you think about it. Long hair, beard, he goes to Whole Foods. We get this. <laughs> You guys need to get there today. <laughs> so they were talking about natural food, natural water, and he's talking about living water, and he's talking about a different type of food that he's about to introduce the disciples to. So in verse, back to verse 31, the disciples say what? They say, Rabbi, eat something, please. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him some food? I love that the disciples never get him. They're always confused by what Jesus says. You know what I'm talking about? Like they, ne I mean, they would have been a fun group to be sarcastic with. You know what I'm saying? They would have never got it. He has food that they don't know anything about, and they're thinking, did someone bring him dinner already? They, they are confused. And then Jesus says something pretty phenomenal in verse 34. He says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So here he goes again, right? I'm not talking about water. I'm talking about living water. I'm not talking about food. I'm talking about a kind of food you don't know anything about. Starts to bring more clarity to verses like John 6.35 when he says, whoever comes to me will never hunger again. Whoever comes to me will never thirst again. He's obviously not talking about a physical hunger and thirst. He's talking about something deeper, more significant, more meaningful, something that really speaks to our souls. This is what he's talking about. So Jesus and his will is to do, or in this moment, what is, what is God's will for Jesus to do in this moment? What is the work that he's supposed to finish? In this particular story, it's, I think if we skip down again to verse 39, we start to see some of the things that, that God is up to and that Jesus is participating in. He says, it says this, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans come to him, or, or so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed with them two days. And because of his words, many more, many more of them became believers. So Jesus is doing the work of salvation in the city, isn't he? 
Jesus is doing the work of restoring the broken. I, sh- I shared last week that, the, that the, the Samaritans, where the city was located, they had this huge gaping wound that had been going on for years. And Jesus comes and he's healing the wound. He's healing the brokenness in the city. So I guess you could say that Jesus is healing the city. Jesus is bringing life to the city. Mm-hmm. How'd that happen? So Jesus is bringing life. This is a beautiful thing. Let's think about it for a moment. What if you, what if you could feed on doing the will of God? What if your most lasting and satisfying thing that you could do was actually the work and the will of God? Meaning the thing that satisfied you more than anything was to bring life to a city. Meaning it would feel like more satisfying than eating a, eating a big old steak dinner, right? Like you are more fulfilled. It's the food that really satisfies the longings of your heart and your soul to see healing and restoring and life being brought. When I say to the city, we'll talk more about that, to the people in the places around you. That this is truly what's satisfying. Now here's the tricky thing about doing God's work, because this is what Jesus said. He, was, he said, my food is the will of the one who sent me and to do the work and to finish his work. So the work of God is a tricky thing because the truth is we're obsessed with our work, right? We're consumed and we seek after the work that we can accomplish in this world. And if we don't, you know, even if we don't like our work, We're consumed with finding new work and a better job, aren't we? In fact, there's a struggle when it comes to work in our society. It's a pretty deep struggle, and it's a real struggle. So many people struggle to find satisfaction and joy in their work. In fact, Gallup poll, 87% of people, 87% of people are disengaged in their work. Only 13% of people find their work satisfying, and it's a passion in their life. 87% of people are disengaged and even a percentage of those would even say they hate their jobs. And that's why we're constantly on the search for different work, aren't we? We're constantly on the search for more meaningful work and more satisfying work because our work is so important to us. And I think it's so interesting that Jesus is talking about work. And he's talking about the work that he does is actually what feeds him and satisfies him. But so many of us, we struggle to find work that's meaningful and significant. And in the instance of this, Jesus was eating and finding satisfaction in his work. Are you with me? Yeah. So as we continue this idea of wells, what the series is all about, it's, it's about us, you and me, having a hunger and a thirst for God. One where everything pales in comparison to loving God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Like that... That sort of idea is not new, but it's one that, for some reason, as many times as I hear it, it compels me. It's something that I truly long for and I truly want, yet I find myself struggling in between this world of God's work and my work. You know what I'm talking about? Where my work can consume me, yet God's work is something that I rarely can have the time to even give myself the space to think about and to dream about and to imagine. And even though it's there, it's a peripheral sort of thing to the place that I maybe find most of my time going. So this sort of begs a few questions for us today. What is the work 
of the one who has sent us. I want to revisit Acts 1.8 to help us with this. We looked at this verse last week. And I'm not going to just say, oh, the, this is the work in, in this particular uh, idea of witnessing, because we, we all know this passage, but I'm going, to, I'm going to touch on something different. He says, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, there's a lot of key words in this passage, aren't there? There's this idea of the Holy Spirit and power. There's this idea of witnessing. And then there's this idea of Samaria even that we touched on last week where Jesus was including them in his ultimate purpose. So you know what else is telling though about Acts 1.8? Jesus begins this call with focusing on where? Jerusalem, a city. That's his smallest space that he actually identifies to where his mission should be played out. It's not, isn't it interesting? He didn't say a part of the city or he didn't say a region of cities. He said, start in Jerusalem and then go to the region that's larger than that, Judea, and then go to that broken place that's right around the corner in our backyard called Samaria, and then I want you to go to the ends of the earth. But he starts with a city. And I, and I don't think that's, you know, just happenstance. I think this is very intentional in what Jesus is really doing because the pattern continues throughout the, the New Testament, doesn't it? Think about all the letters that we read and what we see the church doing and advancing. The church would is advancing through all, all these cities, not only in, in the, the region of Asia Minor, but then it would stretch into Greece and around the Mediterranean, right? We got cities like Philippi and cities like Galatia and cities like Berea and Damascus, and it keeps going, right? And it goes all the way to Rome. And then from Rome, it goes on in the centuries beyond that. It goes to places like Paris and Berlin, doesn't it? And it goes to places like Johannesburg and Shanghai. And it keeps spreading and it goes it comes over, over to here. It goes to New York, and it goes to Los Angeles, and it goes to other cities in our nation, and then it goes back around the world to other places, like Tokyo, Bangkok, and then it comes back to Chicago, and it goes to Oklahoma City. And this is what the church has always done. It's went and advanced through all these cities throughout the world, and in between those cities, and all the towns in between those cities. And this is what the gospel has done. This has been its move. But even in the times of the early church, Within just a few years, the church is advancing throughout the world. And Paul, you know the Apostle Paul, he ends up living in Rome. He's, kind of in a, he's renting an apartment there. <laughs> and he's sharing his faith with his city. And people are actually coming to him and saying, hey, can you tell us more about this Jesus? And, and for a person living in the times of Jesus... Being in Rome was like being in the ends of the earth. You understand? Like they would have think they would have thought, "Wow, we've advanced the gospel as Jesus told us to." Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We're in Rome. Have you ever thought about how this is? This is just in the life of Paul, the first disciples of, of Jesus and the apostles of Jesus. The the gospel was spreading at an exponential rate. How is this possible? Is it possible? that the disciples and the Paul and the early missionaries, they were feeding on the work of the one who had sent them. What was sustaining them and energizing them and helping them produce the gospel 
at such an exponential rate is because they were actually feeding on the will and work of God. And we wonder, why is the church, why is the church on retreat? Why is the church losing ground? And I wonder if it's because we are not feeding on the will and work of God. Are you with me? So, if you've ever find yourself crying out, God, what's your will for my life? Anybody been there? Yeah, you've been there. God, what's your will for my life? Well, for dramatic effect, let me put this on the screen. God's will is a lot less about, a lot less about what you do for a living or where you live, and it's so much more about who you are. You are a child of God, and through Jesus, we are restored and invited to pursue the goodness of God's will and work on this planet. This is God's will for your life. If you've ever been thinking, my will is about my job, I'm just telling you, it's not about your job. It's about his work. If you're ever wondering, should I live in this city or that city or that state or that state, God's will is not about what you do or where you live. It's about who you are becoming. And are you becoming a child of God purposed on this planet to receive his goodness, restored into his grace and mercy, and then released and invited into the work and the will of God on this planet? Like, that's a lot more exciting kind of will for me than what job I'll do. Again, are you with me? Yeah. So if that's the work, the next question is, where's the work? And I've sort of already answered this. Jesus says this, and then he models it, doesn't he? And he says, he says begin in your city, and then go from there. <laughs> begin in your city, and then go from there. So I have a few slides that kind of help us with this idea of the city, because uh, this is actually a pretty big part of our church, isn't it? Like, we talk about our city a lot, bringing life to our city. And I'm not just talking about our city and bringing life to our city because I want to. It's actually alive in the scripture that we're looking at. But this, this is uh, the cultural pillars of our city. And some really smart people uh, several years ago came up with this idea that there's every city and every culture has different sectors that make it up. And if you've been with us a few years, I've, I've used this before, but I want to take it a step deeper. But this idea is that, uh, like I said, some people have thought of this. They've, they've named them the channels of our culture. They've named them the cultural mountains. There's all these different terminology that's sort of surrounded this, but everybody's sort of in agreement that the life of a city and, its, and, and the, the primary um, players and sectors within a city and in, within a culture are these that we see here on the screen, which are government, media, education, business, the social sector, things like nonprofits and social services, arts and entertainment, family, like our neighborhoods, and church, or we put church, some people would put you know, religion up there, faith-based sorts of things. And each of these sectors make up an important fabric segment of the city, right? You see this. For those of us who go to church, which I'm not going to assume that everybody in here would say, I go to church. Maybe you're here, and this is the first time you've been to church in a long time. Welcome. <laughs> but for those of us who go to church, we would say, you know, we make up the church sector. So we'll go ahead and highlight that sector. And that, that's where we are, that we are a part of the church. And so what's interesting about this is that most people sort of see the church as a, as a sector. It's a 
kind of a separate sort of thing, and it's separate from maybe other parts of the life of the city, and we've even created language around this, haven't we? And we say things like the separation of church and state, right, to make sure that we are separating ourselves from the life of everything else, right? Because the church should be there and everything else should be there. And so what this has transitioned into and what it's become is that the traditional view of most churchgoers is that we should go to the church and be filled up and be really empowered and um, equipped so we can then go and cross the lines of all these other cultural kind of sectors. We can infiltrate the city, right? We can infiltrate it and go across enemy lines and we can get into these spaces and we can surprise them with a gospel tract. Right? You ever had a, who's read a gospel tract? You know, three easy to read pages about Jesus died for you and if you don't believe this and right now you're going to go to hell. N- yeah, not too effective. But nonetheless, they're still out there. Um, so we have this sort of idea that we're infiltrating the lines. But let me ask you a simple question. How many of you guys belong to one of these other sectors? Raise your hand if you are in one or two of these other sectors. Go ahead, raise your hand. Yeah, so, so what is it? where's the church then? Perhaps the church looks a little more like this. You can go to the next slide, right? It's sort of everywhere, isn't it? So just as much as we are the church, because we say that, don't we? That this, the church, we, the people are the church. The church isn't a building. It's not a place. It's not a, it's not a stage. It's not a gathering. It's not, it's not me. It's not even any one individual, right? It's the church is us. You know, we're supposed to be the church in every faction, in every place in our life. And, and just as much as we are, the, we are the church, can't we also say we are the city? We are, we are the city. We are the ones, just like everybody else, we're all contributing to the life of the city. Good and bad of it. And we're, we're investing ourselves in something, in some sort of sector, and we're making that sector stronger. We're making that, stru- that sec- sector bigger and better. And, and, and so we, we're involved in other sectors, and we're contributors, maybe at a big level or maybe at a small level, but we are all the city. And I believe sometimes we forget this very thing, that we forget that we, we are the city as much as we are the church. And that the, this church is not this time and this place. And so we're obviously, we're, we're, we're constantly looking for, for open doors or God moments to like sneak in the church to these other places. And what we don't realize is that we are the open doors and that we are the God moments throughout the whole city right now. You and I, the church, we are the open doors and we are the God moments and our city is littered with the church. And, and we've forgotten that the will of God and the work that he wants us to finish is what will satisfy us and feed us and energize us. And it will be the thing that sustains us to where we can say, I don't need anything but that. That sustains me more than anything else. That's the well that I draw from. That's the thing that nourishes me. And I don't become concerned about 
the f- things of the flesh, the things that satisfy the flesh, the things that I chase and hunt every day. I hunt after what the next meal is. And we can say that figuratively and literally. <laughs> we are always on the hunt for the next thing that feeds our flesh. Yet Jesus is saying, you don't understand. It's not about the things that feed your flesh. It's about the things that feed the will and the work of God. That's what you will feed on when you participate in that invitation. His will in this world is to restore the broken. That's what Jesus is doing in this story in John chapter 4. And that was his will for the city of Sychor. And that's his will for us today in the city of Oklahoma. Can we say it that way? In fact, I want to show you another verse. First Peter chapter 2. This is about you and me. And I'll just read it. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Get ready. But you, you, you and the person next to you and me, we, but we are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of what? priestly work (laughs) chosen to be holy people God's instruments to do his what his work and to speak out for him and to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something from rejected to accepted this passage is amazing it really is do you understand what he's saying it's just this is where if you've ever heard this term the term the priesthood of the believers meaning that we are all we are all essentially the role of priest and pastor for the sake of our city and i know none of us really want to wear that hat sometimes me as a pastor do not want to put the pastor hat on when someone asks me what do you do i've told you this before what do you do i'm like trying to think of everything that i can possibly say before i say i'm a pastor of a church because for a lot of people that's a double negative right and we all know we shouldn't say double negatives pastor church one sentence so i again you guys need to stay up somebody told me though a double negative is actually makes a positive. (laughs) This passage is amazing that we are supposed to be God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him, to tell a story about what God has done for you. So I want you to think about this for a minute. The city, the city actually awakens in you, if you have eyes to see, the work and the will of God. If you're like, how do I know what this is? How do I? We look for what's broken. We look for what needs to be restored. We look for what needs life. And we ask ourselves, how can I bring that life? How can I speak restoration into it? And so many of us, this is an overwhelming thought because. Because the needs that exist within a city, I mean, you put it in the area of abuse or put it in the area of pain and hurt, suffering or poverty or or whatever, they're just sort of overwhelming. What do you do about that? Or they're overwhelming because we've always thought about it in this idea that we're going to infiltrate the lines of these other sectors and we're going to have to sneak in and and surprise them with Jesus by, you know, inviting them to church. And it seems so like that doesn't fit. That's not the, it doesn't feel right. There's nothing wrong with inviting people to church. There's nothing wrong even with handing a gospel track if you feel like that's the right thing to do. There's nothing wrong with those things. In fact, I would encourage you to invite people to church. However, if we think that's the only mechanism, that's the only way that we bring life to a city, that we bring people to this place, we've forgotten who we are. 
that we are the church and we don't need anything other than what Jesus has done in us and the testimony that he's given us to change the world. That's all we need to bring life to this city. We've got to remember the city is already littered with the church and we are the church and the church is the opportunities and is the God moments. It is the open doors. The city needs you to do the will of God. You can put it this way. I'll have this on the screen, but perhaps it's said like this. The city needs you to do the will of God with and for the people and places you intersect every day. So this isn't some macro like go change the city. Go change your city. The people and places you intersect every day. In other words, you can be the most loving person in the neighborhood. <laughs> in other words, you can be the most forgiving and graceful person in your family. In other words, you can show unusual amounts of love to the people in your workplace by the, by the things you say, by the way you encourage. One more slide for us. Our city needs the church to dream and do the work of God because when our imagination is limited to our personal gain or our personal lives, then we are only using the city instead of loving the city. And this is really true, by the way. A lot of people love the life of the city. We use it for our own gain, our own advantage. And I've, and I've often thought, like, am I loving the city more than I'm using the city? And when I mean loving, loving isn't like, I love the city, it's so fun. Love means, like, I am sacrificing and giving my life to it. For the sake of the people in it. For the sake of the work that we are called to finish. And I'm so thankful that some people in our church have already sort of caught in this. There's people in our church that are living this. They're like, who are the people and places that I intersect every day, and how do I do the will and the work of the Father? You know, my friend Jared Magnuson, about a, know, about a year ago, looking around, like, how do I do this? Found mentoring project. He said, I can invest in a kid. He started mentoring a kid every week. At-risk youth. He's like, that's a, that's a hurting, broken, real need. I'm going to do it. When I think about, there's several teachers and educators in this room. And I think about the work you do. They, they need to know that we support them. They, the society depends on these people, don't they? But I love to hear stories about Alicia and about others who see their work not just as preparing for state tests, <laughs> but that they are the chosen ones to do the priestly work. You know what I'm talking about. I was talking to a business leader the other day who goes to our church, and he says, I look at everything through the lens of the kingdom. There's people that get it, and I love it, because that's what this is about. He says, I look through everything through the lens of the kingdom, meaning what are we doing in our business that's actually advancing the kingdom, even if people don't know we're advancing the kingdom? I'm like, that's awesome. I think about my friends, the Romans. They moved their family to this community a few years ago. Brandy left her comfortable job, and she took off on this journey of serving families through Hope House. And her and Jeremy are committed to come alongside to see the restoration of people and families. Other people like Courtney Moore have joined in on that and others in the, this last week we had a small group go out to the Hope House and to be there with them, with them that afternoon. That, looking around at the people around us, the places we're in and saying how can we bring restoration and life and good. And I know some of you who own businesses, 
And you look as you're at your work, or you, or you work in business, you look at your work as your mission field, and I think that is a beautiful thing. I was having a conversation the other day with a friend right here, and he was talking about how there's a friend they have who struggles with their belief in God. Teeters on agnosticism, atheism. And they just engage the conversation and say, hey, can we talk more? How about some books? Would you be open to that? That person is curious, and so they didn't take that curiosity to be threatening or scary, because so many of us feel like I'm not prepared to answer all their questions, right? They have questions about God. Well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a representative of God, but I'm not really prepared. You need to send them to the priest or the pastor. Ah, by the way, that's you, right? And they said, hey, can we just start talking and engage it? They stepped into it person's like, yes, totally. I want to explore this. Thank you for being willing to explore it with me. Some of us, we make the work and the will of God very, very difficult. But what if it was uncomplicated? What if it was truly being a person that knows how to just pay attention to the world around you? What if it was truly just inviting the Spirit into every day? What if it was waking up in the morning saying, Holy Spirit, would you prompt me today for the right person at the right time that I would be able to speak. Some of you have broken people all around you, but you don't know it because you never actually talked to them about anything other than the work that you got to do that day. What if you quit focusing on your work and started thinking about his work in the midst of your work? And I know that some of you are doing it. I just told stories. I know that you're doing it, but I want to say keep doing it. Some of you are like, I've never really engaged that. Start doing it. Start understanding that that is where true satisfaction and joy is. That's where the well is. That's what we've been talking about. If you want to hunger and thirst for God, thirst, right? He says this to the woman. He says, you can satisfy your thirst by digging a well, by getting to this living water, that there's an idea of relationship with, with the Father through time with Him, through intimacy with Him. But that's not all that digging a well is about. It's not just about you getting alone with God that there's more to a life with God. It's, it's, it's characterized by a person that gets out of themselves and says, my life is bigger than me. My life is bigger than anything that I can do on my own. It's about engaging with the Father and his work and understanding that it's about sacrifice and it's about service and it's about generosity and it's about being willing to look at a person and say, you know what, is there anything going on in your life that I could pray for, that I can know about, It's having the courage to say it's not just about the work, it's about his work. And knowing that this isn't just so you can feed yourself. Guess what we're doing? We're building wells. And what I love about wells and the wells in this city, she was going to what the city well. Everybody came to that well. So it's not about your life being fed so you can feel spiritually full and healthy. It's about you building a well with the Father so you can establish wells in the city for people to come to and drink. You understand, when we build wells with doing the work and the will of God, we are actually bringing life to a whole community, to a whole city, because everybody starts enjoying the the work and the restoration and the life that we're bringing to a city. 
Because now all of a sudden, it's not about us anymore. It's not about our gathering anymore. It's about the city that needs the gospel in it, the city that needs Jesus in it. And we're saying, you know what? Jesus is the person of peace. Jesus is what can bring reconciliation and restoration. His whole narrative of his whole scripture is about what? It's about healing what's broken. Making all things new. We get to be a part of building wells. Not so we can feel spiritually satisfied, but so that everyone can win. Where the whole city wins. This story with the woman at the well ends with these statements that I'll just kind of summarize. It says, many more Samaritans became believers because of Jesus. And those in the city proclaimed, we know he is truly the Savior of the world. The whole city wins when we engage in the will of God and in the work that he's called us to finish. And you're going, man, does this mean I'm supposed to quit my job? Nope. It means you're supposed, you're supposed to take your life and take your job and understand that you are the chosen one set apart by God to do the priestly work, right? That you're God's instrument to do his work and to listen to this and to speak out for him and to tell others of the night and day difference that he's made for you. Isn't that beautiful language? That you went from nothing to something and from rejected to accepted. You bow your heads with me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd spark in us an imagination. That you'd spark in us the ability to see and to have dreams for the work that you want done in this city. Not for our own gain, but that we can establish wells in this city that benefit and serve the whole place, the whole city, so everyone wins. May we see your work as the most satisfying food we can ever experience. Today we get to be a part of your story and your restoration. I just want you to pray for a moment. I'm going to kind of lead you in this, so get your heads bowed. I want to pray that you would uh, pray that God would grant you vision for your city. Would you just say a prayer right now? God, would you give me vision for my city? Would you just say a prayer asking God for that? And then would you just say a prayer now? Just say, God, would you give me a hunger and a thirst? Give me a hunger and a thirst for you that cannot be quenched. Would you just pray that right now? Lord, we desire to be your people that do your work and live your will. 
you just look up for just a second? We're going to worship. I want to read one more passage. <laughs> Talking about food and water. And we're going to be over time, and I don't, I don't care. Or talking about food and water, it comes out of Matthew. Let me put it up there. I tell you, do not worry about your life. Yeah, right, right? Don't worry about having something to eat, drink, or wear. Isn't life more than food or clothing? Don't worry and ask yourselves, will you have anything to eat? Will you have anything to drink? Will we have any clothes to wear? Only people who don't know God are always worrying about such things. Your Father in heaven knows that you need all these things. Then get this line. But more than anything else, I love it, Put God's work first and do what he wants. Come on. Then the other things will be yours as well. There's another version that says, seek the kingdom first and all these other things will be added to you. Man, God knows what we need. He knows what we're after and he will give it to us. But he says, trust me. Trust me. We do my work and let me take care of everything else good news for us today and it's an invitation to a life that is so satisfying father i pray now that as we close this time that lord we could celebrate you with song that lord you would inspire us deeper and more about who you've called us to become we pray these things in your name amen